Rachel Berenbaum, author of A Bend in the Stars. And today, my special guest, I'm so excited, is the one and only Jennifer Saint. She is the author of the brand new book, Ariadne. And I have to tell you that my true inner dork nerd lover of ancient Greek stories really comes out because I love this book so much. Jennifer, tell me, what is this book about? So um, this book tells a story which is familiar to so many people of Theseus and the Minotaur, but from the perspective of Ariadne, the woman who made it happen, the woman who saved a hero. I love it. So, um, okay, so before I like dig into my millions of questions, because I have tons of these for you, um, I studied Latin for like six years. So, so I've read a bunch of Latin, but I'm thinking the whole time, what languages did you read original texts in to work on this book? Well, I also studied Latin um, and I studied it a long time ago. So the original text that I read, I did have to read them in translation. I cannot read ancient languages with enough skill. Um, so, yeah. Can you talk about how hard was it to turn the, um, you know, the myth of the Minotaur um, around and give us the woman's perspective? Well, um, yeah, there is. So obviously the story is generally told from the perspective of Theseus and when we come later in the story to Ariadne's sister Phaedra, the story again is often told through the through the lens of Hippolytus, who was um, Theseus's son. So there isn't a huge amount of characterization of these women, I think, in the ancient myths. Actually, one source that I did use a lot was Ovid, a Roman poet who you might have come across um, reading Latin. Um, I did. <laughs> and so Ovid's Herodes did actually include a letter in the voice of Ariadne and a letter in the voice of Phaedra. And they were really useful jumping off points to get a sense of how angry and passionate and clever and resourceful these two women are. Amazing. Sisters who both love and hate each other, right? Which I think yeah. you depicted so beautifully. Um, so one of the things that you present, even from the very beginning, because I don't want to talk about too many spoilers, right, is, um, and I think that perfectly encapsulates this um, decision to sort of recast a myth, is the story of Medusa. Because yeah. usually when I grew up, when I was a kid, I heard about Medusa and the snakes, right, and thought she's terrible. But then you cast it as, actually, she was raped and punished for somebody else raping her. Um, and I think you did that so beautifully. Have people pushed back on you casting these stories in this different light? I mean, you're not alone. Other people are doing it. Yeah. Um, no, not yet. I haven't kind of experienced any pushback on it yet. I think Medusa is having such a kind of a renaissance in reinterpretation at the moment. I think a lot of people are rediscovering her story. And, um, and exactly the experience that you described, I thought this woman was a monster. And actually, no, she's a human being who's been horribly wronged. And I think her story resonates so much. Even today, women are blamed for men's actions. Women are blamed for their own sexual assaults. And so I think that story still rings true and is full of um, pain and meaning for women today still, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, and also you, of course, address the love triangle, you could say, between right Theseus, Ariadne, and Dionysus. Um, yeah. And that story also has been cast in several different ways throughout history. So can you talk about how you chose to portray it? Yeah, so I think Dionysus is such, he's, he's a lot of people's favorite of the gods because he's not really like the other Olympian gods. He's so different and he's kind of worshipped by people who put themselves outside of society. And of course he was worshipped by women and women could follow Dionysus and it gave them the opportunity of freedom that they wouldn't have had in, in ordinary life. So. 
in lots of ways, Dionysus is this really appealing, really intriguing figure. But it was important to me to remember while I was writing him that he is still part a part of a very misogynistic, very patriarchal structure of the of the immortals who wield this uncontrollable power with no recriminations. So there is a darker side to Dionysus. But how did you decide? I mean, sometimes it's cast as um, right. Theseus kills Ariadne, right, or he yeah. abandons her, or you know she falls in love with Dionysus. Right, there are all these different reasons that people have put out for why she, you know, is first with Theseus and then with Dionysus. So how did you come to decide what you did? I don't want to give a spoiler away, right? Like how did you approach telling this story? Yeah, so I mean, so I read as many different versions of the myths as I could find, and. And um, really went with what seemed to fit the character of Ariadne that I'd created in my mind. So, you know, she, I think she was very naive, very trusting when she met Theseus. And her experiences with Theseus perhaps taught her to um, see things differently. But Dionysus seemed so very different, at, at, certainly at the start. So um, I guess sort of sticking with this theme here, I would love to hear you talk a little bit about legend versus monster, right? This is, there's a very thin line between those two, especially in these ancient myths. So how, when you're, when you were researching, did you come to decide who was the legendary hero, right? Versus the monster? Well, I just think I really wanted to challenge the traditional narrative of that. So I just felt like I had read, um, and I was reading to my children a lot of Greek mythology as well. And I think particularly when you're looking at children's stories, it's presented as such a simple, straightforward adventure story. Here's a hero. He's doing heroic things. He's going on quests and having adventures. And I just wanted to, to approach it in a more nuanced, more complex, flipped way to get something more interesting from it. I love it. And you even dared to talk about how Theseus hid, right? Like he cowered while his men went out in one scene and, you know, fought the big fight for him. Yeah, I think, you know, when you really look at the stories around Theseus, he's not all that heroic all the time. Uh, one of the symbols that I wanted to ask you about that you bring up in the book, I had, maybe I'd forgotten this, or maybe I never knew it, that's possible too, right? Um, the symbol that was all around the labyrinth, the two-headed axe. Um, and you wrote that when Ariadne was young, she had um, mistaken it for a butterfly. And I thought that was amazing because there you have this beautiful animal or creature, insect on the one hand, right, versus a weapon right there for war. Um, and, and that really encapsulated a lot of the contrast that you had throughout the book. Um, so what were your thoughts on that, the axe versus the butterfly? <laughs> yeah, I mean, exactly what you said, um, that I think you, saw, you look at the story and you can see it as something beautiful, but there is this, that, I mean, I think with Greek mythology in general, it's beautiful and intriguing, but there is this such a dark side to so much of it. And and, and yeah, I'm so glad that, you, um, that you've mentioned that because that was a really important symbol to me to include. Amazing. So here's kind of a hard question for you maybe. Uh, okay. Why should people read your version of Ariadne? I think you should read my version of Ariadne to get a different take on a really familiar story and to look at things from a, a different perspective. And what is that take? What do you want readers to take away? And um, so to, to see things from the perspective of the women in Greek mythology and to identify the patterns that we so often see where women are punished for men's actions, women are overlooked, women are relegated to the sidelines. Let's put them front and center and let's see what they've really got to say for themselves. I love it, I love it. 
So for young girls and boys that are reading these myths for the first time, do you think that they should also read the older interpretations? Um, well, I do. Th I think that, yeah, I mean, I'm certainly not going to say um, that there's no value in the traditional stories because I grew up reading them. I grew up loving them, but I just think it's so important to not just take it in that way, but to um, to when you tell stories, when you read stories, to question them and to look for the complexities and look for the hidden meaning. I love that. I mean, I just think of my own kids, right? If I, let's take again, let's go back to Medusa because everybody knows the story yeah. of Medusa and the snake heads, right? Um, you know, I think, I don't think I want my children reading that she was a monster. And yet, how could we talk about her as, a, you know, a woman who's been punished <laughs> if you don't compare it maybe to the monsters? I don't know, like I struggle with this myself. Do, do I want my kids to know both of those interpretations? Yeah, it is difficult. And I think to approach it in an, um, an age appropriate way as well, because so my children are young and you don't really want to be sitting down with really young children and saying, here's Medusa, she was raped by a god and then this terrible thing happened to her. Um, but so I think that you do need to think carefully about how you phrase it. But this is a great thing about Greek myths that I think um, we do love them when we're children but they stay fascinating and they stay relevant. So the older you get and the older your children get, the more deeply you can discuss it with them, I think, and the more you can encourage them to look at um, other ways of approaching them. Yeah, I just love that. So what kind of advice do you have for people who are just thinking about writing, you know, dipping a toe into maybe Greek mythology or reading old Latin texts? All oh, right. Well, yeah, I mean, first I'd say definitely do it. And um, I think the, the crucial bit of advice I would give is to make the time to do it and, and um, tell yourself and tell the people around you that this is an important thing to do. Because I think it's so easy to think that oh, it's self-indulgent. Um, you know, how can I take time out, you know, where I've got a job, I've got family or other responsibilities. Um, and your writing takes a lot of time. And I just think you have to say, no, this is important. I really want to do this. I'm going to do this and I'm going to prioritize it. I love that. So um, I'm kind of curious, do you have like a uh, women's writers club with all of you amazing authors who are recasting these, these books? Like I'm thinking I just read a new translation of the Aeneid. We have um, Circe, right? Like all these women are writing these new versions. Are you guys all hanging out? Because you should be. I, I really wish we were. And I hope that somebody starts that club and I definitely want to be a part of it. <laughs> Jennifer, thank you so much. This has been so much fun talking to you about these ancient myths, about Ariadne, about women taking center stage finally. I love the book. May you sell many, many times.